This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihew from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there in listener land, this is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, episode number 18. I am your host, Tucker Merrihew. I'm here in our virtual studio with my co-host, Steve Nassar. What is happening, Steve-o? Tucker, good to be back on the show after a week off. We've had some cold, cold weather, and it seems to not be getting any warmer. So dealing with it on our end, how about yourself over there? Uh, you know, Turkey Week was good. It was kind of a, you know, you I know you left town early. Jared had a lot going on, and I did as well. I, I stayed in town, but, you know, I'm glad to be back at it this week. Last week was just kind of, it, Turkey Week's always kind of a squirrely week. You have a lot to do in a little amount of time, and then everybody just says, screw it, and they leave, <laughs> and then they come back Monday and deal with it all. And, you know, we uh, we started off the week with a bang. We actually closed on our biggest project to date on Monday. We finally closed on that Dunthorpe deal. I was out there this morning. We're already clearing the lot. And I can tell you, man, when you start clearing a lot that's never been cleared, like, ever since the beginning of time, it looks a lot different after you have your arborist out there for a couple of days. And so... He's been out there hacking away, and I've been going out there every morning seeing what it looks like, but really stoked to see how that all kind of comes together. But now that we're clearing the lot, we're making headway towards actually putting a house on the property. That's exciting. How soon do you think before you start pouring a foundation and getting into that component? Uh, We're probably about mm, 60 days, I would say. We got to get our plans a little bit rejiggered. We're rebuilding our Street of Dreams house, like I've mentioned before. But got to get our plans approved with the city of Portland this time and just some other stuff. But it'll take probably a good two weeks just to clear the lot. It's that dense with trees and everything else. So we're making headway. We're hitting the ground running. We closed Monday. We started clearing Tuesday. So, you know, it's it's a lot of money out there. So we got to get cranking. Didn't you say in a previous show that there was a rule you learned along the way about how many trees you had to leave on that lot? Yeah. So in the city of Portland, if you have a lot that's over an acre, and this rarely ever happens these days, because if you have an acre in the city of Portland, it's probably worth more money chopped up than it is not. This is one of those strange cases where we could subdivide it and the lots would be less than an acre, but we're going to leave it as one full lot that's an acre and a quarter. And so anytime you keep one lot that's over an acre, you have to keep 30% of the trees on that lot that are bigger than 10 inches in diameter at breast height. So fortunately, we were able to keep enough of those trees to satisfy the city around the perimeter of the lot to kind of keep a nice canopy and privacy between our house and the other houses. But if those trees were clustered more in the middle, we would have probably some fines to pay <laughs> if we were going to build a house because there's no way to build a house and keep that you know amount of trees. So yeah, we were lucky in that sense. But yeah, the, the rule is if you've got an acre lot in the city of Portland or bigger, you have to keep 30% of the trees that are 10 inches in diameter or bigger at breast height. So, Interesting. Say, yeah, that, was... say that five times fast and uh, see if it sinks in. <laughs> so. But that, that's what's going on with me this week. That's kind of the big story. What about you? Well, we've got quite a bit going on. Like you said, it was a little bit of a quiet week. It's one of those weeks and we're going to have we're going to have a couple more of them here coming soon where things do really shut down. But I had some excitement on the brokerage side of things. Or actually, I should say on the broker side of things. You know, it was it was Wednesday or maybe it was actually. Yeah, it was Wednesday right before. Uh, the Thanksgiving holiday, I got an email from a broker who was trying to show one of my listings. And I actually posted this on um, Masters in Real Estate over the weekend. And she said, hey, this is a vacant listing of mine. It's actually an empty house. It's not even staged. 
And she said, there's no lockbox on the front. So we're all scratching our heads and going, no. I mean, we've had this listed for a couple months and there's a lockbox there on the railing. Maybe she didn't see it. So I send one of my people out and they're like, sure enough, there's no lockbox here anymore. So I immediately thought to myself, I mean, normally in a situation like that, your first reaction is, well, maybe the seller did something with it, which doesn't make a lot of sense, but there's nothing about this story that makes any sense. So I email the seller and I ask them, and while it was important that I did that, it ultimately was problematic because they just lost it. They they immediately started freaking out. And this is, mind you, this is going into a holiday that everything is shut down. Right. And they're on the verge of saying, screw it. I'm getting out of town. Right. (laughs) And they're they're just thinking worst case scenario that somebody out there has a key and is going to break in their house and you know, I'm trying to calm them down. Like, look, there's not a lot that could happen here. And and while the shackle could have been, you know, compromised, it's much more difficult to get into the chamber where the key is actually resides. And I also said, you know, look, if somebody wants to get into your house, it would be far easier to go in the back and break a window and let themselves in than it would be to break into that lockbox. But that's the crazy part of, of this story, Tucker, is, I mean, I had no great explanations for why this was gone where it went when it happened and anybody else in masters that had experienced the saga of the missing lockbox lately as well there was quite a few there was probably a dozen that have said over the course of you know since we've had these newer lockboxes in the last year year and a half i guess it's been maybe it's almost two years now that there's quite a few that have had them go missing and I don't understand it. I don't understand why somebody would take it other than just to mess with us and our sellers or if there's you know what? deemable I, value to it. I bet there's a Portland tweaker group somewhere that's masterminding some sort of a plan that has yet to come to fruition. But you know, one I, I don't know either, man. It seems strange to me. It makes no sense at all. One person on Masters posted something that was probably the only thing that made sense. And I can't say it's definitively what is going on. But in all the ca- craziness of this, because I'm, I'm telling you, if if somebody wanted to get into that house, that is not the easiest way to do it or the least noticeable way to do it. Somebody made a prediction or a guesstimate and said, wondered if somebody's trying to get the key so that they can meet potential tenants there and maybe get a deposit. And actually... If you stop and think about it, that actually could make sense. And that's that's a way where somebody showing, you know, showing put throw that house on Craigslist. Um, somebody contacts them, they meet them there, let them in with the key, and you you could imagine that person yeah. going, Yeah, I like it. I'll give you a thousand bucks right here to, to to lock this one up. So I can't say definitively what's what's going on, but that is the only explanation that makes any sense to me. Well, you know what? Fortunately, we can probably ask our guests. So I might as well introduce him and bring him in since he's uh, pretty much everything and everything that has to do with rental housing here in Portland. Our guest today is Jared Gogenauer from Gateway Property Management. He's also on the board of directors for the uh, Rental Housing Alliance of Oregon now and a variety of other titles that I forget because he told me before the show. But he is pretty much the man when it comes to rental housing in Portland. And now that you've been welcomed onto the show, Jared, do you think that uh, maybe that's the scam? Maybe that's what people are trying to do is, you know, collect a deposit, throw it on Craigslist and have a key to get in? Yeah. First off, thanks for having me on, Tucker. And thanks, Steve. Uh, good to be here. Yes. To dive right in. Fraud in the in the rental market is 
this year has been a bumper year. Those called spoofing of ads where people take our ads off of our website and post them on Craigslist or create their own postlets accounts. And it's really about trying to get people to give them deposit money up front, money orders, cash to secure a property that they don't have a legal authority to rent. Well, that would seem like I bet that's probably what's going on, Steve. And it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not a smart crook, but it, that's probably what they're getting at is my guess. That the only explanation that makes sense to me. So to the, finish my story. So the next day is Thanksgiving. There's nothing we can do. And these people are just freaking out. They're calling me. They're emailing me. They're they're not the ideal sellers for this situation. There's a lot of sellers out there. These are, if you're going to have this happen, this is the worst seller that you, you could have it happen to. So, Got it. I mean, it almost at some point, my I, I felt like the, the entire listing and my keeping the listing was up in the air due to this. And again, no fault of my own, but having an, an inability to explain why this is happening and, and distancing myself from it's happening is kind of challenging. So finally on Friday, they we had the locks changed. I paid for that and we seem to be back on track now, but it was just a bizarre occurrence for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel your pain a little bit. It sounds like they're kind of tough clients, but I don't really know how they can blame you for the crazy idiocy that goes on in the world sometimes. And, you know, I I get it. Everybody has to have a scapegoat. It sounds like you might have just been their scapegoat. So <laughs> It was my lockbox is yeah. what they kept saying. <laughs> well, hey, that brings us kind of to the main topic, I guess, very nicely this week's episode, which is rental housing. And, you know, that's why I wanted to have Jared on it. You know, there's been a lot of talk about the housing crisis here in the Portland area not only in terms of, of houses to buy, but more in terms of houses to rent because rental prices have gone up so much. There's been just such a squeeze on the actual supply. And so I thought, let's bring Jared on. Let's talk about not only that, but also the changes that now are in effect as of November of this year. And then I think we've got some additional changes that uh, landlords are going to have to think about you know, in the beginning of 2016 that are kind of coming down the pipe right now. So Jared, again, thanks for joining us. Maybe uh, let's talk about what what is the rental landscape out there right now? You obviously are a co-owner in Gateway Property Management. You guys do a lot of leasing. Yep. What's your vacancy rate? Is it pretty low? Does it take long to rent stuff? You know, what's going on out there? Uh, yeah, thanks, Tucker. The market right now, obviously, if anybody's seen the news, is quite on fire. It's hot. Uh, the supply is definitely not at pace with demand. Uh, you know, sort of go to kind of how we got to where we are here today. You got to look back on the historic front where 10 years ago during the housing boom, six, seven, eight, you know, nobody wanted to rent. Everybody wanted to buy. It was a disinvestment in multifamily housing. There was hardly any apartments being built then. Everybody was wanting to buy single family homes. You look at people like Arbor Homes who made a lot of money doing that, who have now switched their gears and are now building multifamily. The pendulum swings back and forth. So and then obviously when the economy crashed in 2010, a lot of, you know, they say nationwide over 10 million people who used to be homeowners became renters uh, in that process of, you know, short selling their houses and or being, a bit, you know, foreclosed on and all that. So we kind of have a perfect storm going on in the rental market nationwide, particularly here on the West Coast and in Portland is we have sort of an even more perfect storm of public policy meeting economic reality in terms of um, you know the supply and demand equation. You're a real estate developer yourself. You know how difficult it is to build property anywhere in the Portland metropolitan area. Are we talking maybe about Metro's uh, UGB policies in part? There is a good part of that. You know, the urban growth boundary is sort of a double-edged sword. They, they actually call this sort of the, a, a tragedy of being too desirable here in Portland, that we've managed to make a, a bit of a utopia that, uh, you know, by 
the Metro will tell you that they reduced 10 square miles of sprawl that would have happened if they hadn't put the urban growth boundary into place. The city of Portland metro area would be 10 square miles larger than it is right now. And uh, they call that a victory because they proclaiming, you know, a natural space and farmland and green areas they say are being protected. The downside of that is that we have sort of artificially contained what would be the natural supply of housing if we let market forces, uh, you know, take hold. So, you know, that basically brings us to today where we have a vacancy rate in the city of Portland of below 3%, depending on where you see the metrics from, 2.7. You got rents that have that are skyrocketing, according to what was that, Axiometrics. Rents in the city of Portland are up over 41% since 2010. Metro Northwest just released their biannual housing survey also, and they're showing rents in the Portland area on pace to be up 14% this year. Uh, as you Do you all... remember the average, Jared, the average rent in Portland? Wasn't it like $1,800 or something like that? In terms of right now? Just the overall average, I guess. Yeah. You know, and and if you don't have it in front of you, don't worry about it. I think extra metrics, they said it was 1242 for the entire metro area. You got to keep in mind that is, you know, there's still a fair bit of low dollar apartments that are out gotcha. there. There's always Rockwood, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> we had a previous show and we going off of a report and it's, I think it was 17, 1800, but that was probably single family detached houses, which right. seemed astronomical to me, like that people are renting and paying that kind of money. I mean, to me, like I think of that as a house payment, but. Well, yeah, no, with so rates be being rates what are they up. are, there's people should be buying, actually. Uh, you know, in, in the current environment, the rent versus buy decision is obviously swinging back toward the buy decision, mainly for anything else, just the stability of the your monthly payment. Uh, that's the sort of big downside to renting is, you, you know, you never know when the rent's going to rise or when you're going to get that, well, 30, 60 or 90 day, no cause, notice of termination, depending on the situation that you're in. And uh, uh, so, you know. Definitely, that's something that people should consider. But for on the flip side, for people like us who invest in rent, you know real estate, it's obviously a great time to be a rental property owner in terms of what you're able to get out of your properties. You know, a lot of the uh, sort of older landlords in town will tell you that you know nobody was sounding the alarm bells in 2007 as a housing crisis when people were giving away two, three free months of rent. I don't remember uh, people were giving out free blazer tickets. I remember, remember some apartment complexes had dangling that out there. $99 first month rent. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You basically had to, you couldn't, couldn't give away apartments there for a while. And, you know, obviously there wasn't a lot of sympathy for uh, landlords then when the uh, crisis was swinging more our way. And now it's the pendulum swung. Uh, you know, that was a period of actually declining rents in the city of Portland. People people can't believe it, but that was we were having, you know, year-on-year year declines in the average rent in town. I actually remember that because I had a number of uh, rentals here in Johns Landing, and I had to drop rent by like 200 bucks to get mm -hmm. stuff filled. And I think actually you guys filled one of them for me, and I was like, man, I just can't believe that it didn't rent for that much money. And, um, you know, now obviously things are drastically different, but I do remember that rents were falling. In order to get people in your places, you actually had to cut your rents. And yeah, it's crazy to think about that now, but it did happen. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, the market's entirely changed. And as a result of that, you know, there's there's a lot of kind of forces at work here. The main one that's sort of created the push to the situation we are today with the uh, city council here in Portland declaring an official housing crisis. It, it pretty much began in the nonprofit sector. There's a couple of nonprofits in town that do a lot of tenants rights advocacy work. You know, I do tell landlords that, the, you know, the tenants are organizing. They are pooling their collective political and muscle to, you know, make a push here, uh, you know, 
probably the most well-known non you know tenant right group, the CAT as they're known, the Citizens Alliance of Tenants. They uh, led the charge and actually the, the city of Portland, they sort of forced their hand. They declared a housing emergency and had a big rally up in uh, North Portland near Peninsula Park in front of an apartment complex where they vacated all 40, 50 units to send everybody no-cause notices and uh, decided to just empty the building to renovate it and re-rent it for basically twice what all the prior people were paying. Uh, they had a rally there and all of them, you know, I actually attended to see it. You know, all the news agencies were there, the, all the local news companies were there. And they managed to bang the drum pretty good in regard to finding sort of one-off horror stories that kind of play well in the media. You know, the uh, old grandma who gets a $500 a month rent increase on a fixed income and you know, they're obviously trying to frame the discussion as landlords being the problem here. You know, us on the landlord side, we're trying to obviously influence that discussion and let people know that, you know, really, and the tenant groups agree with us also, but it's less easy to to sort of get what the on the government. I mean, really, it's a public policy problem here that, that's created this. A lot of this, I mean, as a builder, you know, price per square foot to build just keeps rising. They keep adding more and more requirements into the, you know, the building code, you know, SDC charges. Just oh, to, they're astronomical. Yep. You know, we, we heard, uh, just had one of my associates say that they had to spend $700,000 in Hillsborough to uh, get all the SDC charges for the roads and the streets and, um, you know, sewer infrastructure and all that. And that just adds so much to the price per square foot to build. So, you know, it's hard to build, you know, and then you know, the city of Portland just came out with, with with new guidelines regarding like substandard housing, making things like basements that would have been rented more problematic. If you know habitability code, greater protections for tenants on that. So you have sort of even even more, you know, the more rental units that are sort of deemed to be less than ideally habitable. Uh, you know, kind of coupled with some just some demographic things in Portland, mainly being Portland ha has a very high percentage of people who live alone. You know, but I think research shows about 35% of people who live in, live alone in Portland. I think we're so, one of the highest in the nation, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We are yeah. definitely, you know, you sort of have a younger people that come here. To retire. <laughs> well, well, you know, and that's actually, well, that's the young people come to retire. And we have a demographic kind of crush that's happening. We got the millennials who are kind of coming here to retire, the younger people and pursuing tech jobs and the downtown thing. But then you also have a lot of baby boomers who, you know, their kids are in college and they're selling their suburban home. In Beaverton, and they want to move into a condo in the Pearl District to enjoy the nightlife and wine bars and things like that. And so you have the 20, 30 somethings moving downtown, and you've got the 60 something crowd moving downtown, and they're all wanting to kind of cram in. And so, you know, especially in you know, district here in the Portland area, you know, the city of Portland's got big plans to make that essentially downtown 2.0, extending all that development over. By seeing there's a lot of, you know, 20 story buildings that are being built down there, a lot of sky cranes going in. And just trying to, you know, Portland has a density. Density is something that everybody loves to talk about until it comes to their backyard. It's always good to have density in a different part of town. You know, I live in uh, the closer in area and they're building multifamily par housing and parking is a perennial issue. The city of Portland has some very odd parking rules. Have you ever been down on like division, you know, inner division from Lads Edition on out? To oh yeah, it gets crazy down there. Yeah, they you know, it's a sea of four and five story mixed use buildings with like zero parking mm -hmm. and in uh 
they might as well just shut that street down and turn it into a walking bike boulevard at this yeah point. especially <laughs> down around lads edition i totally agree with you i mean it's it's dangerous to drive down there uh you know i'm i was we did a project in lads edition last year and i was seriously worried that me or somebody on my crew was going to hit somebody and kill them on a bike not intending to but just it's almost hazardous to drive around there it really is so yeah, it's a madhouse and you know, there's just more of that coming there, there's more building permits being issued down there in the city of portland it's kind of the environmental footprint thing, much like the garbage thing where they get your garbage every other week to kind of artificially reduce your creation of garbage. You know, the city of Portland says that by making congestion, they want to make it so bad that you have no other choice but to find alternate modes of transportation. This is, you know, it's kind of by design. Social engineering. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, the city of Portland would like to help help you make choices on how to live your life in a way that they think is fit. But in regard, you know, getting back to sort of the nitty gritty of the current housing market and some of the changes, obviously, right, the citizen land tenants and the tenant rights groups have managed to get the city council to notice. The city council has passed what they declared to be emergency legislation that took, a for, it took effect on November 14th of this year, 2015, requiring all landlords to provide tenants 90-day notice of a no-cost termination. The prior rule was 30 days for tenants who were less than 12 months of the property, 60 days for tenants who were over 12 months of the property. That's actually a state law. Um, so the new one is for it doesn't matter how long they've been renting. They have yes. to give them 90 days, basically. Right. So, so I'm dealing with this right now. I had a, uh, a client call me, gosh, two weeks ago, and he has a house in Portland and he wants to sell it. And he didn't know about this change, so I, I mentioned it to him. It's something that's been put on our radar. And so he started looking into it. And, um, yeah, sure enough, um, he has to give 90-day notice. And it's kind of thrown some you know, wrinkles in his process, of course. But a couple questions for you about that. So is that from day one? So if you put a tenant in your house on Monday and Wednesday, and I'm not saying this happens often or should happen often because that doesn't seem very fair, but if on Wednesday you decide you need to do something different, you you now immediately have to give 90-day notice in, in the city of Portland? That's correct. And that's why okay. there's kind of a talk that there is no there is no such thing as month-to-month -month renting anymore, that essentially everyone when they move in is on a minimum three-month lease. Okay. Essentially. Yeah. So there's no month-to-month. -month. <laughs> Basically. And some of these law changes are actually pushing it toward where maybe month-to-month -month leasing might become a thing of the past in Oregon. Uh, the benefit of using fixed-term leases is that at the end of the lease, you have the opportunity to make that that sort of vacate versus keep renting it decision. So, you know, it's going to be best to get people on, you know, at least six to 12-month leases and review it. Then we have gotten a legal opinion on at the end of a lease, it depends on how your leases or what kind of leases your investor clients are using. The leases we use automatically expire at the end and you can actually, most leases that are used in the state of Oregon, you can actually file an eviction at the end of it. You can refuse to accept additional payment and you can file an eviction based on the lease terminating if they don't vacate the property. Obviously, that's not great business as a landlord to not communicate ahead of time with the tenants as they're approaching lease expiration and figure out what they want to do. But you do have that legal right. If you do accept, if they pay the rent and you accept it at the end of the lease termination, you have entered into a month-to-month -month rental agreement where all the other terms and conditions of your lease remain the same except for the fixed-term aspect of it. So Generally speaking, we, we used to advocate month-to-month -month rent leasing uh, more because it gave the owner the power. The greatest weapon in most you know investors toolbox is the no cause notice of termination it, you know if 
if you can't fix people's behavior through warning notices or other avenues, the only option you have is to remove them from the property. And the threat of that, you know, is pretty much the main thing you have in your toolbox as a landlord. If you no longer are able to do that, it gets more complicated. You know, I don't, if, you know, the issue with the four cause and notices is that you have to provide, you know, a clearly stated problem. You have to provide the tenants a 14 day opportunity to cure that problem uh, before the lease terminates at the 30th day. The issue is some things are hard. You know, if you have a tenant who's maybe suspected of drug dealing or doing other suspected activities, it's really hard to quantify. Unless they've been charged by the police, you can't say, hey, he's dealing smack out of the apartment. I mean, you can't just say that. Or if they're if they're loud, how do you document that? Right. Well, right. And noise is a a thorny issue. Generally speaking, I, I tell most of my investors, if you can avoid buying up, down varieties of properties and stick to side by side. If you can get a fourplex that's side by side or a duplex that's side by side, you will usually have much less problems than, you know, up, down, vertical living. You also can run into some fair housing issues there, mainly if the people above have children. You know, there's been plenty of property managers who've been sued. Well, in this business, there's no no good deed goes unpunished, we say. And Things that you think might be common sense or good business are actually discriminatory in the eyes of the state. Things like telling, you know, if you have people with kids that, oh, you may not want an upstairs apartment because there's an old lady downstairs and she's going to complain. You know, that's called steering and you're not allowed to do that, even if they think it's in their best interest and the tenants below and you. So, you know, just as a, a broad sort of advice to everybody listening to this podcast, I would tell everyone, if you're managing your own properties, you're not a professional property manager, you definitely need to get educated as to the laws in your particular jurisdiction, because in the state of Oregon, there are protected classes. But in the city of Portland, there are additional protected classes that are not covered under the state statute. And you can many landlords find themselves in hot water with Boley Bureau of Labor and Industries. They're the ones in the state of Oregon that are been designated by HUD to investigate and sort of adjudicate any fair housing complaint. I tell, you know, just be careful. These things get very expensive going through a fair housing issue. And you'd be surprised that a lot of people kind of think they, they everybody knows they write, you know, race, national origin. You know, Boley actually releases information on their complaints. The number one source this year of fair housing complaints, you know, had nothing to do with race or any of that. It was about service animals. Service animals in Oregon is a very thorny issue, service versus companion you know, the, the pet issue, you want to deny deny people having them. Be very careful with service and companion animal issues. Um, and, you know, it should be known also to people that they do do um, sort of secret shopping on landlords. Uh, do know that not all the people who inquire for your property, are, you know, are bona fide renters. Some of them are things like the Fair Housing Council. And um, so can you discriminate based on pets or is if they say it's a service dog, you're not allowed to discriminate, but if it's otherwise, you are? Generally speaking, yes. Maybe not discriminate, but you could allow or not allow. Let's, let's rephrase it. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. There's actually a legal opinion. And part of this is, you know, the, the state likes to create laws with the intention of somebody's got to be the canary in the mine shaft. That it, you know, the only way that these laws get care, you know, clarified is via the case law process where there's you know nuances and corners and edges where people are like, well, we're not sure what happens with that. Somebody's going to have to be the test case. And that usually is expensive. So, you know, I always recommend my clients don't be the first one off the boat on Omaha Beach. You know, let, let somebody else <laughs> land on the beachhead. There is no extra points. So you don't make any extra money for heroics in this business. 
So I have an, and and that brings up another interesting question. And it's one that I've actually seen firsthand. How do you define a service dog? Like, let me tell you a story I had. One time I was in an airport and one of the people with me, we saw, we saw this dog and it had a jacket and it said service dog on it. And it, it, I swear to you, it just looked like it did. It was definitely not a German shepherd. It wasn't an official looking dog. It just looked like a, a pooch, right? Your, your mm-hmm. standard garden variety pooch. But the person walked up and was a dog lover and started started petting it and was like, hey, what kind of service dog is this? That girl clamped up and she looked at him. She goes, none of your business and walked away, right? And so yes. immediately, like, we're like, maybe that isn't a service dog. And she just wants to take it anywhere and everywhere <laughs> by putting a nice, cute little coat on it. So, I mean, that's like the that handicap scam, in- right? You put the handicap thing in your, uh, on your rear view, right? You know, right. When you go driving somewhere, <laughs> same idea with the service dog goes. Well, it brings up a good point because there is an opinion, you know, that's the thing. There, there's a lot of opinion on sort of how some of this stuff should be done. But in regards to things like a service animal, there is an opinion that even asking why that question you just asked that person is discriminatory much in, or, you know, in the question of providing documentation they, you know, I guess it's been proven that if you, like, if you have a tenant who asks for a reasonable accommodation due to, you know, being blind and requiring that tenant to provide proof that they are blind can be seen as discriminatory. So that's why it's helpful, folks. Just be well, really here's the good news. Careful. I just learned that if I get a coat from my dog, it can go with me to the grocery store, the movie theater, and every <laughs> restaurant in Portland. And and Jared can't ask you what kind of service dog it is because it might be viewed as discriminatory in the eyes of the state. Well, that's why you people with an abundance of caution, yeah, if you if you bring a, a dog into the grocery store, a lot of times they just won't say anything because they don't, you know, for what it's worth, I mean, to, to deny that person entry versus the downside of dealing with a multi-year bully discrimination problem. A lot of times people just, you know, discretion being the better part of valor, just sort of you pick your battles sometimes on what you think is worth holding the line on, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I think that, um, you know, this really makes a good point about, you know, I personally used to manage a lot of my own rentals at this point. I've transitioned them all over to Jared. And it, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to pay a property management company or generally most, you know, real estate investors are just cheap by nature, right? (laughs) We're just cheap bastards. That's just the reality of it. And so they want to try and penny pinch. But these days, I mean, I can tell you, and I've been on the cheap side of the fence, and now I'm on the other side. It's well worth it to pay somebody to manage your rentals for you that knows what they're doing. Because if you get lazy, let's say, and you don't go do your random checkups, and you end up with a a tenant like I had in my last place that Jerry didn't manage for me, I mean, she just totally destroyed the place. I think I talked about it in an earlier episode, Steve. I mean, had it been managed properly and I'd gone over there and done my every three-month checks or whatever it is that, you know, Jared and Gateway do... I would have known that she had pets in there that weren't supposed to be in there and everything else that ended up, you know, basically causing me to gut the place when she's done and all that money that I spent, you know, that would have, that was, I would have spent a very, very small fraction on just proper management. And so for that reason, especially now with just the climate we're in and all the, you know, activists and just people that are just so pro tenant that have never had to deal with the tenant that destroys their house. And so they only have one vantage point on the issue. It can be tough. And so it's well worth it to get somebody on your side that knows what they're doing, like Jared and Gateway. I couldn't agree more, Tucker. And I don't really know Jared prior to today. Just being on this podcast with him for 20 minutes, I can tell immediately he knows his stuff. He really has dug into his profession and his, I mean, he's ahead of the curve in his knowledge base. And that is so invaluable. I mean, to those people who try to take this on and 
save that little bit of money, but don't, I mean, they don't do this every day like Jared does. And, and I don't care how many rentals you have. You're, even if you have 10 rentals, you're still not doing it every day. Like a guy like Jared who do has hundreds at his, and maybe even thousands that he's managing. So to me, those people are just stepping over dollar bills to pick up dimes. I mean, it's just the risk versus reward is not there. I mean, one, one little slip up on one of these little problem areas that we're talking about, be it a service dog or, or, you know, telling somebody that maybe they'd be better off in the upstairs apartment over granny because they have kids <laughs> will wipe out all the savings you thought you had as you deal with that lawsuit. Whether even if you don't end up losing the lawsuit, just a headache involved in being it oh yeah oh yeah and you know jared right now he's dealing he's uh, managing three uh houses for me on one property and i'm the developer coming in i bought this property that basically has three little crappy houses on it that rent for very cheap for lake oswego eventually they're gonna go but you know it can be being tenants to leave the houses that have been there for a long time can be a very difficult situation if it's not dealt with properly and fortunately we're dealing with it you know properly and everything seems to be going good to this point but you know if i had stepped in and tried to do that on my own i can pretty much guarantee you that it would not have gone well so you know it's worth it to bring help especially help that knows what they're doing like Eric Gateway does but uh before we wrap up today so what we talked about kind of what's people are dealing with now what's coming down the pipe for next year on top of these you know 30 60 90 day no cause um you know changes well there's actually quite a lot coming up down the pipe uh i don't know if you guys remember but they a couple years ago, we were in the state of Oregon. legislature used to meet every other year here in Oregon. And in the wisdom of the Oregon voters, we decided that we needed more government. So we decided to have our legislature meet every year now. And so the session starts in February. It's a short session on the every other year. It's 35 days. And the tenant rights groups have a pretty aggressive agenda. The main goal of go on that you know, Community Alliance tenant website, they're were initially asking to do away with the no-cause notice determination. I mean, <clears throat> essentially... It's kind of like the legal pot thing. You try to kind of make incremental gains. You know, you get, you know, the, their ultimate goal for some of these groups is, is rent control. You know, sort of a style of New York City where there's a, a board that has to approve of your rent increases. So they're kind of trying to nick away at this. I mean, essentially what they're doing now is just weakening the no-cause notice provision. They would like to do away with no-cause evictions. They want all evictions to be for cause, which is, you know, essentially we're, we're fighting a battle of property rights. Um, that was the whole rationale behind two years ago when they passed the Section 8 bill that basically outlawed the blanket denial of Section 8, that you couldn't have properties that just were no Section 8. The the defense, the argument on the other side we had was that that's a federal program that was designed to be voluntary. People want to be involved in it. The state of Oregon, by one vote, decided that that is not a voluntary program. It's a mandatory program. And it's kind of this, this continuation of you own the house and you rent it. And there's more and more things that you can't do in the way that they want you to rent it. You know, there's talk by some of the tenant groups that they would like all landlords, uh, private or professional property managers, they want all landlords to be required to have a certification in the state of Oregon. If you want to rent out your rental house, you need to pass some sort of four, eight hour exam, uh, you know, a course just and, and prove that you are certified to even rent your house is, is what some people would like to see happen. Obviously, on, on the uh, you know coming up immediately down the road in this legislative slash session, they want to attempt to take this uh, 90 day or well, they wanted six months or even a year on uh, some of these notices. You know, they're looking to extend the timeline in, uh, in this next session to get more time on a statewide basis. Because as we said, that new rule as of November 14th is only for the city of Portland, and we're actually dealing with this right now on a couple of properties out in East County where the 
the border between Portland and Gresham can be a bit nebulous. You need to figure out exactly if that property on 181st is on the Gresham or the Portland side. Yeah, it's uh, funny. I was actually just looking at some stuff there the other week, and it, you know, address says one thing, the maps say another. It's it's kind of interesting. Milwaukee and Tigard have that too. Yeah. There's a lot of houses in Milwaukee and Tigard, and there, there's probably other suburbs as well. But I've always noticed it with those two, where one place will say Milwaukee, another place will say Portland. Yeah. And the same is true with Tigard. Quite a few of those areas. Some just say Oak Grove in Milwaukee, and that's not even really yeah. a town. But you can send mail to Oak Grove or Milwaukee. <laughs> You know, same with West Portland. You got, uh, you know, Forest Heights, where you got parts of it and parts of Britain. Kind of, you got areas out there in Rally Hills that are actually kind of getting double taxed by Portland and Washington County. And yeah, living living near the county and city lines can be mm, pro and a con. <laughs> you know, a lot yeah. of people try to get just right there. So it sounds but, like they're basically pushing for for longer no cause periods, essentially. But, yeah, I mean, this is the criminal fix for basically getting rent control in the state of Oregon, or mainly in the city of Portland, for starters. A lot of this stuff, obviously, there's less, you know, the housing market's not nearly as hot out in, you know, Baker City or La Grande or, you know, other areas. This is sort of a Portland, maybe Eugene's large metro area phenomenon. The, um, you know, real estate prices obviously are, are up across, you know, the board. Which obviously, if you you know, if, if rental houses are going for hundred grand, there's an economic rationale for a certain amount of rent versus two hundred grand. Obviously, the more rental houses cost, the more you have to you know have to make it worthwhile for anybody to rent them. Um, you know, that's sort of getting back to that supply and demand equation. Um, the problem with the issues that sort of the, the, what's coming down the pipe is is making it less and less appealing for people. And this is the concern we have at our organization that making it less appealing for people to get into the rental property business. Uh, you know, there's a lot of owners who say, well, if this happens, I'm finally getting out of the business. I'm selling. And if they sell their rental house, there's no guarantee that it will continue to be a rental house. It might become an owner-occupied house, and then there's another rental unit that is off the market. You know, there's, there's a lot of people who, uh, there's actually a lot of property that is just not being used most efficiently that, that could be put on the market and yeah. And there's a lot of, uh, and this is one thing why I've talked to Steve about this, we're actually, uh, and I mentioned it to you as well, we're starting our own private equity fund this next year to right. kind of go in and, and a lot of what we're going to focus on is that mid-range multifamily that, you know, maybe big institutional money, it's not quite big enough for them, you know, but we'll be local. But there, there's a lot of complexes like that where if you want to them or anybody, they, they've had kind of that, you know, mon pa landlord for the last two, three decades that have owned it and they haven't done jack to the place. And yeah, yeah, it's cheap, but man, it is just run down as hell. And it's like, you know, at some point you have to move people out in order to complete the renovation on that property. You can't just let it continue to stay in the state that it's in forever. Well, that's exactly right. And that's the double-edged sword is that people want quality rental housing. The city of Portland has a quality rental housing work group. Quality rental housing and low rent, there's sort of a tough an equation there. You know, you have to get enough rent to be able to be properly maintaining the building and, and paying for, you know, annual maintenance and upgrades. And it can be, you know, difficult, especially private landlords, you know, kind of my, the pitch toward the professional property management. A lot of private landlords, when they move people in, they're at market, but a lot of people just don't keep pace with the rent increases. And they're actually going backwards every year and don't realize it if they're paying, like city of Portland, you have to pay the garbage bill, you can back bill the tenant. But the service does have to be in your name. If you're, you know, own a duplex, triplex, you're paying the water bill. Anybody who's owned a multifamily property in the city of Portland knows the the drama of the water saga. Of, you know, rates are through the roof. We're claiming oh, yeah. they're yeah. ridiculous, um, and they're only going higher. And it's due to, 
you know, mismanagement by the by the Water Bureau that, you know, that's why we had the ballot measure last year to take, you know, the Water Bureau out of the hands of the, the city of Portland to create a, you know, they've created a utility board now that, that in response to that, that measure failed. And the, the city of Portland in their token gesture has, uh, you know, created a nine member board that's supposed to oversee the Water Bureau to make sure that, you know, your water sewer funds aren't being used to create bike lanes or, you know, experimental houses out, you know, like they were they were doing the water sewer billing is like the city of Portland kind of slush fund in terms of the money can be used for a variety of purposes that have nothing to do with your water sewer, which is. So they they created more government to look over government to make sure government <laughs> is spending your money as government should. Right. That's Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, you know, you follow the dollars and you follow, um, you know, a, a lot of this comes down to public policy. You know, there's the law of unintended consequences. People think that, you know, it's like the classic idea of you raising taxes, you generate more money, you think. But a lot of times when they raise taxes, people change their behavior. You know, people make adjustments to not pay that. And, and like, you know, in Europe where they found where they raise these tax rates really high, you actually generate less money than than you would. And same in like New York on um, cigarettes. You know, cigarettes cost $12 a pack and this tax is $5 a pack. People will just go bring them to Massachusetts, you know. Um, yeah, eBay, right? Yeah, eBay. <laughs> you know, people, Costco people, online, yeah. People work hard to sort of, uh, you know undermine the best efforts of taking money out of their pockets. People work hard to figure out a way around that. But getting back to the, you know, things come down the pipe. I definitely recommend anybody who owns property, rental or not, you know, if you're able to contact your legislator, you know, this is going to be a bit of a fight here this next uh, session. We always say landlords, you know, we're always kind of on the defensive. You know, there's an old saying, obviously, that democracy is, what is it, two wolves and a sheep voting for what's for dinner, right? That's the idea, right? <laughs> there, there's a lot more tenants than there are landlords. So if you're going to vote on what's for dinner, they're going to eat the landlords, right? Yeah. Uh, when it comes to politics, all about, and, you know, public uh, policy is all politics. So Indeed. And the tenants have numbers. They have numbers on their side. You know, there's a lot more of them than there are landlords. Landlords are an easy target. You know, very few people love their landlord. And if they do love their landlord, it's usually because their landlord isn't operating their property very efficiently. They love their landlord because their rent's super smart. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. right? Like, that's usually the reason, which is probably, you know, part of the reason why we always, you know, I got in this business. I managed my own rental property. I didn't understand why people would need a property manager as I grew older and got more properties and met more people in the business. I mean, some there's a lot of people like yourself who... You know, you, what's your time best spent doing? If you're a heart surgeon, should you be doing your reconciling your monthly you know, rent roll or should you be out, you know, buying development properties or performing heart surgery? I mean, it's, it's just not efficient. You know, I, I got a, a friend who bills out $150 an hour doing graphic design and he's remodeling his own kitchen floor. I, I, I said, why? You know, like, let's go yeah. high, hire somebody to put some tile on your kitchen floor. Like, put $35 an hour. Yeah. yeah. Does okay. he want to get divorced too? Yeah, I'm you with know. you on that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, dollar weight on I'm sort of penny wise, pound foolish. People think I'm going to save money and and people just do all sorts of things. I was actually just talking to a lady yesterday who was telling me how she gave her tenants a rent credit for cleaning out the gutters at her house, at her the rental house. And I told her that's a good way to get sued. Like I, I tell people never pay your tenants for labor. You know, federal wage and hour laws don't like it. They cover your creating a player employee relationship, an implied one, even if you don't realize it by paying someone for their labor. They are not covered by OSHA. If you're paying your tenants to clean gutters and they fall off that ladder. You're scaring the hell out of me right now because I did that in the past. And uh, that's why you manage my rentals. <laughs> it's 
what's the kind of thing where actually I asked the lady, she there's three of them there. I was like, well, they each got seventy twenty five dollars in rent. I'm like, okay, so you paid them seventy five dollars to clean the gutter. I'm like, we just get a gutter cleaning service to come out and clean it for seventy five to ninety five dollars, and you get a licensed bonded company that does it the right way, or you can pay your tenants to fiddle around on a ladder, or you know, spend twenty more dollars and get it done right. Make sure the downspouts are tested. Make sure things are actually working properly, rather than a couple guys out there with a bucket, you know, and their hands in the gutter. A lot of that, you know. You know, you need to be always thinking about liability in this business, which is part of the reason people should hire property managers because we're properly insured. You know, we have fair housing insurance, we have E&O commercial liability, you know, and EPLI employer practices liability insurance for our maintenance guys. You know, you need to be insured if you if you are managing your own rental property. I highly recommend your insurance agent and just see what your coverage levels are, see what's included. Uh, I always recommend people think about getting an umbrella liability policy into a liability policy on their properties. Uh, you you really can't have too much insurance. If you're thinking about, if you're worried about cost, you always should review at least every year or two your deductible levels. You know, I've got clients who have $500 deductibles and I'm not sure why, because they don't want to file claims on six, $700 losses. You know, it doesn't yeah. make any sense because yeah, you just yeah. pay it in the rates. So make sure your deductibles are at a spot where they make sense and then you can get more coverage. Raise that to, you know, $1,000 or 2,500 and instead of having a million, get two, four or five and you might actually save money and, and have just a, a smarter insurance policy. Insurance is, is very important for uh, liability protection, especially the more properties you accumulate, the sort of the bigger your target is on your back. You know, when, when an issue happens at a property, the uh, people go looking to see where the money's at. And that's- Oh yeah, tell me about it, man. I, I, I walk around with a giant bullseye on my back these <laughs> days here in the city of Portland as a, as a builder and developer. So I understand that completely, but we've been chatting for a while here. I know Steve's got to cut out and we got to probably call it a day, but I think we covered a lot of great ground, Jared. I think we talked about some good stuff and I think people got some really good information from you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. There is a lot to this business. I recommended people if, if you know, if you manage your own properties, there's a couple organizations in the state, you know, obviously the Rental Housing Alliance, Oregon, when I'm on the board of, we help small landlords manage their own property. It's kind of ironic. I know people ask, well, you're a professional property manager. Why are you on the board of an organization that helps people manage their own rental property? And I say, because, you know, for some people, it makes a lot of sense to manage their own rental property. It's their nest egg, their thing they do. But there are people who also, like yourself, that it doesn't make any sense for them to do it. And there are some people who just personality wise, you you know, when you get into this business, do a self-assessment. And think, <laughs> I know what you know, you're saying here. Yeah. You know, do, do I have the personality and the temperament and the patience to deal with this? You know, if, if I get calls, you know, I got calls on Thanksgiving day, I get calls Christmas day, you know, uh, my, my tenants have my cell phone number for better or worse. They, they text me and you'd be amazed how many things break on Thanksgiving day, especially when you put all of your potato skins down your garbage disposal. <laughs> Along with the beard caps, right? Yeah. yeah. Throw it all down the garbage disposal <laughs> and then turn dishwasher on and go to bed to see how much water is on your kitchen floor in the morning. <laughs> yeah, you're right. This sounds like a hypothetical, right? <laughs> you know, I get that one every year. Everybody wants to make mashed potatoes and they put potato skins down there. I tell all my tenants, do not put heavily starchy items like potato skins and eggshells down your garbage disposal. They will back it up. You know, garbage disposal, in fact, more generally, I have clients who they say, take them out. Garbage disposals are probably our number one maintenance required item. A lot of people just take them out of rental properties because they are constantly needing to be reset and cleared and causing problems. So. Or replaced for that matter. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Well, hey, uh, before we jam out of here, where's the place that people could uh, get in touch with you? We're going to put a link to uh, Gateway in our show notes for sure. But what's a number? What's a website? How can people get in touch with you if they want help renting their, their rental properties? Yeah, our website is waypdx.com. 
And our office line number is 503-303-8545. Love to help people out anywhere in the metropolitan area. We do specialize in, um, you know, sort of 20 and below properties now. We're getting away from on-site managers. We could do a whole a whole talk on the fun of on-site managers and managing people, uh, you know, on-site and the liability that can arise from what they do on-site. So we've taken that back from the, the 20, 20 units under basically anything from a, a single family residence up to about 20 units. Yep. That's our, that's our target market. And we manage stuff, Hillsboro to, to Gresham down on to Woodburn area, the metro area. We don't do Washington. We could do a whole talk on the, the real estate laws in the state of Washington. And it's, it's amazing how close Oregon and Washington are and how unusual a lot of their laws are in terms of difference that makes sense between dates. <laughs> Community property. <laughs> yes. There's yeah. a big one. Hey, Jared, it's been an absolute pleasure. I can tell just by being around you for a short period of time that you could probably talk for another three hours. <laughs> That's probably why all the tenants text you rather than call you, by the way. <laughs> but hey, let's let's get you on the show again. You're a wealth of knowledge and you're my guy moving forward. Any clients that are looking to, for a property management service, I'm going to send them your way. So thanks a lot, Jared. Appreciate it, Steve. Thanks a lot. Perfect. All right, guys. Well, this is the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're signing off till next week. We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks again for listening to our show and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.